If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I feel like the hunger is different. So the hunger is different in the sense of when I was 20 and I look at what I was doing as it's a good hunger. It's not a bad one, but it's like there was a drive there. And I think my hunger is definitely different now, more community based. I don't have to be number one, but if being like a part of a group, I'd rather do that than be like top of the game. Welcome back to Bucketless Careers. This is episode 136 with Melissa Ponzi Reby. A dedicated social worker, she always yearned for a more fulfilling path despite finding her current work meaningful. Inspired by her immigrant parents' success stories and driven by the belief in pursuing dreams, Melissa envisioned a different career. But it was a pivotal conversation with her wise friend Edie, we all have one of those, that sparked Melissa's passion for jewelry making, leading her to venture into entrepreneurship. Melissa shares with us insights on taking the leap, turning a hobby into a business, and embracing the idea that readiness may come from starting rather than waiting for it. All right, let's listen. Welcome, Melissa Ponzi-Ribi to Bucketless Careers. It's so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, another local mom. I am scoring so many great guests that are actually my neighbors. It's fantastic. And you have a great story to share with us about your pivot to what you consider to be your dream job. And let's start right off the bat with that. Tell us what is truly fueling you about what you're doing professionally now. I make jewelry and it sounds very like, oh, you make jewelry, but it has been a game changer and it has been, it's gone beyond my wildest dreams. Like I've always loved fashion where I am right now. Like each day I kind of have to pause and appreciate. And I think it comes with age, but it also comes with, I can't believe I'm doing this. And I just finished New York Fashion Week where a designer said, "You, I want your jewelry with my clothes. And I was like, Thank you. So those little things where like I always said, I want to go to New York Fashion Week. I never thought I'd be a part of New York Fashion Week. And so it's it's little things like that. Yeah, I'm just very grateful of making this jewelry, but also having people have this emotional response to it and actually sharing with me also, oh, I had this event when I wore your jewelry or this person said this to me when I wore your jewelry. And I feel like we need more positive reinforcement, whether it's what we wear, who we are. But I think jewelry and clothing and fashion is self-expression. Yes, you did tell me you said you love how fashion allows people to feel powerful when they wear something that 
gives them the confidence. And I can understand that being meaningful to you. But you didn't start out here as a jewelry designer. So walk us through your your previous professional pursuits. I know you were an oncology social worker. I've never had anybody on the show who's done that before. And then you went into the nonprofit sector. So yeah, dial it back for us. I went to school and I became an oncology social worker, or I became a social worker, I should say. And I have a master's in that. I'm still licensed because I feel like I work so hard for it. I refuse to like give it up. So I still take my CEU credits and everything like that. Yeah, fair enough. I worked in the city. It was amazing. And if I really look back at all my different jobs that I had, it's very much about community. And I find the community, I find my people who I work with. So if people say, oh my gosh, you work with people with cancer. I always felt like it was such an honor to be at one of those difficult times in someone's life and to be able to help them and navigate the system or navigate their feelings or help the family. So that is what I did. We moved. We had a little break from New York and moved to Minneapolis for a while. I had a baby and I didn't quite know if I wanted to go back to work. I knew it wasn't going to be permanent that we're in Minneapolis. So I said, why don't I just go get another master's in nonprofit management? Because I was doing a lot of program development with my social work degree, I thought, well, this will be good because I get the business side of doing programs and things like that. So I did that and I did some consulting. And while I was doing that, I started taking some jewelry classes and my neighbor made jewelry and we did that as a hobby. But then I started getting compliments and recognized for it. So I'm like, oh, I'll just sell it because I didn't have the confidence to sell it. I like, I just gave it away or I would donate it for fundraisers and things like that because the social worker me, I'm like, oh, you're having a silent auction. So it started to just slowly get noticed by people in your life. Tell me about the jewelry that you make. Describe it for us. So what I do is I feel like every, everyone and everything has a story. So I take vintage pieces and new pieces. I take them apart. I redesign them and I make them more modern or one of a kind jewelry. So Now, as time has gone on, I'll get a lot of things that are donated. They'll say, this is my Aunt Jane's and it's not my style, but I don't want it just to go thrown away. Can you use it? And I always can. I can either use a clasp or I can use a jump ring or I can use parts of the beads. But I love seeing how you could have this one necklace that actually can create like 10 earrings or it can create like a different bracelet. And I always try to find the story behind the person if it's donated. Who is this person? What what were they like? And things like that. I love that. And how do you come across the materials or how do you find the materials? It's different places. So again, people in Surrey aren't get to know me, so they'll donate it. It's some parts that hunt and gather. There used to be the story here called Lowman's, which was this amazing department store. I remember it. I remember Lowman's. Exactly. And it was was in the city too. And it was, they had these great clothing, but you really had to hunt. And so part of, I feel like that's part of the finding the jewelry. There's a hunt to it. You go to markets, you may go to estate sales. There are still, believe it or not, there are some places still in New York City that are like little rooms that are, it looks like a hoarder's place, but there are vintage boxes upon boxes upon boxes that you dig through and you find. Yeah. And the discovery process must be exciting. It's a very exciting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So when did you decide, oh, I can actually do this and monetize this as my primary revenue source and gig? When I, we came back here to New York and I was still dabbling and I felt like everything had to be a certain way. Like I just have gone, I had two masters. So I was very much like a linear type of thing. Mm-hmm. I have to do this and this. I'm not ready. I ended up going out to dinner with an acquaintance, not even like a, like a, we're now very good friends, but acquaintance. And for some reason I disclosed, I've always wanted to open up this jewelry business. And she said, what are you waiting? Like, it's never going to be right. And you're actually going to probably cringe at how you start. But until you start, 
it won't it won't happen. And it really like that night, for whatever reasons, the stars were aligned, it hit me. And I was like, she's right. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to make mistakes. What did she mean by cringe in terms of just the idea or, or being daunting that it might turn you off all the work involved with a complete 180 change? I think it was more like mistakes because I kept saying, I just, it's not right. I have to make sure this is right. And, and her point was, you're going to make mistakes. And the jewelry that you start making or the first shows that you had and how you displayed it or whatever is not going to be what you are in two years. And she was so right. But I think giving that permission to make mistakes, I started and I was in like my late 40s. I was like in mid to late 40s when I started this. And so to do a complete pivot and away from what I spent so much time in education for was also very scary. And I think my father's from Mexico. My parents were very much a part of education. And so I think it was like, am I walking away from all that education to do a creative business? Yes, all that time investment and something that you felt your family really valued. But the creative aspect of what you're doing now and being a founder, is that something that you never thought would be possible for yourself? I didn't. I always thought it was like, I'll dabble, but never like a full-time business where I'm talking to accountants and I'm doing marketing plans and I'm doing sales funnels and things like that. So I never thought that part of it, but it's, it's thrilling. It's very thrilling. And I think seeing something that I create out there where people are actually buying it is really very exciting and, and, and seeing their reaction and, and getting to know the people. And I think that's where I carry my social work through my creative business is when I meet people, it's not just like here, it's like I get to know them, I talk to them, we talk about their family, and especially with repeat customers, it is nice to have that connection. And I think one of the biggest compliments is when people leave, they say, I feel this good energy here. And that to me is such, is what I want to create. Recently, I've started doing some pop-ups where I create gift stores with makers' items, not just mine, but you walk in and it's an actual store. And I love getting that energy and putting it all together into one. Definitely. The pop-ups are a great way to go, aren't they? So yeah, tell me about where you're selling, how you decided to do that in terms of are you e-commerce as well as in some stores and how the pop-ups work for you? I'm a little bit everywhere. So I do markets, the kind of artists and creative markets where you set up a tent and you're there. I am in some stores. I love supporting local. So I'm in a lot of locally owned stores. I mean, it's great because you get to know the owners and then you have this relationship with them. And then I have a website too. So I'm a little bit, a little bit everywhere. One of my goals this year is to try to do more e-commerce because again, (laughs) as I'm getting older, to schlep all your stuff and set up the tents. It's it's physical. I mean, it's taxing. So I'm trying to make it more of a balance. Sure. I just had an Etsy seller on and I would imagine that that's a possibility for you or are you selling through your website? So pop-ups I've done, I will sit up at the train station at our local train station for the holidays. And I had over 50 makers in there. And what was nice is people said, I didn't realize there were so many people here because it doesn't feel crowded. Like it just feels like a, a gift shop. And what I would have around the store, because I feel like there's a person behind every product, was a little bio card. So as you went through the store, you could read about the person who made that item. The other thing is, I feel like representation is so important. As a Latine woman, I didn't see growing up people owning businesses. And so I want when people come in, they can identify with at least someone in my store and say, oh my gosh, I could do that. Or that's amazing. I see myself there. 
So that's why it's also, I feel important to have those bios. So I've created pop-ups like that. People say, why aren't you here longer? And I always say I'm a novella. <laughs> and a novella is a soap opera in, in Spanish. And, and But there's always a beginning, middle, and end. It's not ongoing. Like Days of Our Lives has been going on since nice. then. So I always say, I want to be on a novella. I'm a beginning, middle, I may come back again. <laughs> And maybe a little less drama than right. a typical novella. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there were tears, but no one got slapped. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, let's talk a little bit about your biggest obstacles with what you're doing now. And then, of course, how you've navigated them and, and overcome, hopefully, what you have found to be roadblocks in building this. There's a couple obstacles. I think one is my age. Doing this so much later I don't know if I would do it over again because I loved my career as a social worker, but there is that I'm sometimes the oldest one in the room, whether they know it or not, I know it. Right. I was going to say, is it in your mind? Do you feel it actually affects your growth? It might just be in terms of your mindset. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. I feel like the hunger is different. So the hunger is different in the sense of when I was 20 and I look at what I was doing as it's a good hungry. It's not a bad one, but it's like there was a drive there. And I think my hunger is definitely different now and more community-based. I don't have to be number one, but if I, I don't want to be lonely. If, if being like a part of a group, I'd rather do that than be like top of the game, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, I can relate to that. Because your values are a little different, right? Exactly. At this stage. And finding your community was very powerful for you or, or served you well in terms of overcoming imposter syndrome, you told me. So expand on that a bit. You know, I mean, this term imposter syndrome, it's basically the whole time, like sometimes it would be like WTF, what am I doing here? New York Live came to the store. And so Joel Gargiulo, who I have admired for years and has been on the other side, said, I want to do a story about your store. And I think it was like, oh my goodness, you know, there's so many other stores out there. Am I good enough? Are you going to interview me and find out like, well, that did not go the way I want it to go. So I think <laughs> that. Well, maybe also you have a bit of a recovering perfectionist side. That is definitely something to get over. And with age, I've learned the triggers or where, when I'm starting to feel getting to that space or that rabbit hole of pull it back, pause, step away, do something that kind of gets you completely out of the space, whether it's go into the city and just enjoy your time or spend some time with friends and just, it helps you kind of reset. A good example was yesterday, I went to meet someone, another maker that I've never met before or just on Instagram. And so we're like, let's connect. We're so close. And we had the most amazing time, like three hours went by and I thought it was going to be for like an hour. And as I'm coming off the subway, I hear this. I love live music. I hear live music. And nice. the people around there, they were dancing, they were jumping, like in the middle of Times Square, right by the shuttle. And that type of like, okay, this is what my soul needed. I needed that live music. I needed that energy. I needed people just enjoying themselves. Oh, that's such a great story. I'm actually, I'm in a band, believe it or not. I, I always preface it by saying that, believe it or not. <laughs> Is that, yeah. Overcoming your concern about being too old, quote unquote, right? I am in a rock band and it fuels my soul. That's what I tell people all the time. But just, yeah, being in that environment, I think what, what you're describing, you feel alive and you being able to incorporate that feeling into your work, I think is everything for your second act. Tell me about social media marketing. Again, I think that sometimes the more mature business owners, 40s, 50s, feel they don't necessarily <laughs> know the right verbiage or the captions and whether that matters or not. So how are you approaching that to spread the word? 
you know, I've, I've surrounded myself from some good people giving advice. There's this woman I follow, Sabina Hitchens from PR for Success. And I think what she says and what I've heard from other people is you just have to do it, but you have to be authentic. If I tried to be like some 20-year-old influencer, it would show. And I think I would get a lot of DMs from my kids be like, stop it. Stop doing it. So, <laughs> totally. Because I do get some. What happened when with COVID and George Floyd's murder, it also was a pivot point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to be authentic. And I'm going to be, whether it's social justice issues or who I am. And once I embrace, I'm just going to be authentic. I'm going the stories for social media have what helped because someone said they're gone in 24 hours. Like they're not yeah, there forever. And true. if the post, if you don't like, just delete it. So I think once I got over the cringe, like I'm going to be on camera. And so now I actually have fun talking yeah. to the camera. Are you doing more videos, more reels? I definitely do reels. I do more videos. I share, but not share too much. But I feel like it has built a connection with people out there. I know there's a lot of downfall for social media. But I think one of the up is that there is a connection that people get and I'll get DMs, I'll get comments. And my dad's from Mexico. I'm not fluent in Spanish. I consider myself Latin. I don't speak. I mean, you plot me where I'd have to do therapy and I'm like, I am lost <laughs> and my grammar's not great. I did one reel where it was talking about how I didn't speak fluent Spanish. Mm -hmm. And I was so surprised how many people, how many Latin people out there are in the same boat. And I look Latin, but I don't speak Spanish, you know, and so that was probably one that where it surprised me. And you probably felt it was a risk to reveal that, but then you obviously found people that could relate and align with it. And I think that that's the case. I, I agree with the transparency, the authenticity aspect of posting being a really great way to build your community as opposed to just trying to sell. You're just revealing yourself. And obviously your pieces are an extension of you. That sounds great. What key advice, takeaways do you have for our listeners on achieving your purpose career-wise? I'm going to say what Edie said to me. You just have to do it. You have to. It's never going to be right. And what's the worst case that happens? You pivot and you change. But until you try, you'll never know. I think the other thing is community, finding your people. And if you're around a community that's not filling you up or it's filled with self-doubt or you're, that's not your community and it's not yes people. Because I'm around a community of friends that they will be like, nope, you're off base or whatever. But it's that trust and it's just fine where everyone wants to succeed. Yeah. And you're better off going it alone until you do find a non-toxic community or supportive one. It's never too late, as you said. I am proof that it is never, ever too late. And I, I'm so excited what the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years will bring. That leads nicely into like the next question, which is where we can find your pieces or just find out more. And Melissa, I know you said that you would consider giving our listener community a, a discount code if they wanted to order from you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bucket list careers 10. You'll get 10% and I'll throw in a little special gift as a surprise because who doesn't like surprises in the mail? Oh, thank you. That's so generous. So I would say there's two places. Instagram, follow me on a design. It's A-D-Z-I-N-E-N-Y. And my webpage is adesign, A-D-Z-I-N-E-N-Y.com. My kids' names start with A and D, so that's why it's uh, the kind of plan words to a homage to both my boys. And I am doing a pop-up again in Cold Spring, New York, which is up along the Hudson River. It's a gorgeous, beautiful little main street in April and May. It's going to be the same concept. If I'm going to do something, I want to do it with my friends. And so it's going to be about 20 other makers in a store that I've curated that you come in, and I hope you leave with some great energy. And so, but yeah, follow me, DM me. I do custom pieces also. So if you have something that's like, this has been in my drawer and it's so horrible because it's not my style, we will make it your style. 
I only thing I don't do is fine jewelry, but I have tons of fine jewelry friends that actually can do that. Then I've actually sent them to them who, if you have the diamonds and the emeralds, they have made custom pieces. I definitely have some older pieces like vintage of my mother's that I wonder if I could do something with. So I'll have to think about that. Such a singular idea that you've come up with, Melissa. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us and coming on the show. Thank you, Krista. All right, be well. We've got another episode of Bucket List Careers coming your way on Thursday. Thanks for being a part of my listener community. I'm Crystal Laurie. Until next time, be well. An ironic media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.